0: Well, amen. Let's give applause to our Lord Jesus Christ. Wonderful worship this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And um, I can't remember if I introduced myself at the welcome or not, but I'm Pastor Lucas Cunningham. Good to have you here. And we are starting um, uh, into Luke 15. We'll start in verse 8. Verse 8. And it reads... Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call all her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels, even when one sinner repents. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted his money in wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him but no one gave him anything and when he finally came to his senses he said to himself at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare and here I am dying of hunger and i will go to my father And I will say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. Let us pray. Father, as we come before you and as we dive into your word, I pray that our hearts and our ears and minds are open to your word. I pray for those that may have a prodigal in their family, right now, that they're wondering about, that they are praying for, that they are hurting for, I pray for them. I pray that you will continue to give them to, uh, courage, continue to pray for patience and uh, love for their child. Have your hand upon them. God, maybe someone here is watching or they're here right now attending, and they are one of the prodigals. That's where they're at right now. I hope that they see that you love them, that you care for them, that um, they can come back home. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So have you ever, have you ever lost something and you went to the lost and found? There was a, you, you knew more than likely it probably was gone, but there was a little bit of hope. A little bit of hope that it might be found in the lost or found. Maybe you've left, maybe you've left your keys somewhere. You left your wallet somewhere. I remember once my wife left her purse at Walmart and uh, yes, at Walmart. Bad place to leave a purse. But she had our child and then I think she was either pregnant and had the baby with her. I can't remember which one. And so, you know, uh, there was a lot going on, and she just happened to leave it there. And we were just, she's like, oh, I left my purse. It's going to be gone. And it wasn't. It was there. And she was so happy. I was happy. You know, like, I mean, you lose something like that, it's important to you. If you ever lost your ID, you're like, oh, I can't go anywhere, and I uh, can't do anything. Like, I need to find. But you can still vote, probably. But, you know, you know, you could get... You could hit... <laughs> anyway... But what was lost was found. People lose cats, dogs, ferrets, and who else knows what else, but every now and then you'll see a um, you know, lost poster, and this is one of my favorite ones of this cat, of cat missing, and there's a cat next to the missing paper. <laughs> Cats will do that, won't they? They'll get in a closet and they'll just kind of chill and they'll hear their name and they're like, I don't care. You know, that's how they are. That's how they are. But we lose stuff. We lose stuff. And every now and then you'll hear of a child even getting lost in the woods. And thank goodness for technology. They can take drones that have thermal imaging on them and help find children. And of course the parents rejoice. Everyone rejoices when what is lost gets found. And in Luke 15, Jesus, Jesus gives three parables. The first one is about the lost sheep, where he leaves the 99 and he goes to find the one. And leaving the 99 to find the one seems foolish until you're the one, right? Right? Then we see the lost coin. Then we see the parable of the lost son. Now, maybe you're uncertain about what a parable even means, but to sum up what a parable is in the Bible, is a parable is a story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus loved to use stories. He he loved to use stories because he knew it would make a connection. And that's what he's doing here. And so he gives these three parables. And what we see out of these three parables is that God treasures those Who are lost." Think about that. God treasures those who are lost. Don't get me wrong. He treasures his sons and daughters in Christ. He loves us. He has an inheritance for us. He's coming again for us. But make no mistake, um, he treasures those who are lost, that he wants to bring into into his family. In that day, a coin, um, a Greek silver coin, was worth about a day's wages Uh, or the cost of one sheep. So she lost about a day's pay, about 10% of what she had. So what if you just take $50,000, for example, that would come out to around $136 a day. And so maybe you get paid more, maybe you get paid less, but it gives you an idea of what that is a day. And so think about the impact of the news like this of someone who feels lost. Someone who feels broken. Someone who doesn't feel worthy of God's grace. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you've said it before, and I've heard people say it. Like, I don't know if I should go to church. If I go to church, the, the ceiling might just fall in on me, right? They feel like so convicted, so bad of like, why would God want a sinner like me? I remember there was one lady she was such a hard worker, and uh, still friends with her, but um, she was in my church in Florida. And one day after church, she came to me and said, Pastor, I just, I just need to know, why does God even love me? And I'm like, I, I don't know why he loves any of us. But I know the Bible says God is love, and then he loves us, he pursues us. And that he desires to have fellowship with us. He desires to save us. He desires to take the broken, the messed up, and to wrap his beauty around their brokenness and use them as a trophy of his grace and mercy. That's what he loves to do. That's what he loves to do. And where the people God doesn't use, and you see Jesus argue with um, these type of people many different times in the Bible, are the prideful are the ones who think they don't need any help, that they think they have it all together. But the ones who come before the Lord, humbly looking for grace, looking for mercy, he will use. And if you will come to God in that way, humbly he will use you. You see, Jesus believes you are valuable. Think about that. Someone needs to hear that today. Someone needs to hear that. Uh, You are valuable. In in your mind, and and we have an enemy who does not play fair. He's, He's the father of all lies, the Bible says. So he lies, and he lies, and he lies, and he lies some more. That's what he does. That's what he does. He makes them up. He stirs it up. That's what he does. And while as believers, as Christians, he cannot... Make us do anything. We cannot be taken over by demons. But man, let me tell you, he can promote lies. He can whisper those lies. And sometimes we believe those. The lies he loves to, um, he loves to study. He's been studying humanity for a long time. He likes to study people. He goes, oh, look over here. Low self-esteem. I know what to do with that. Oh, they're very prideful. They think they don't need any help. Oh, I know what to do with that. He knows what to do. And he hasn't changed much, but that's what he does. He wants you to think that you're not lovable, that you cannot be forgiven, that uh, you you are just a hopeless case, that you will always be an addict, you'll always be a drunk, you'll always be this, you'll always be that. But God's word says differently. And we see that those who are lost, those who are lost, those who can't find their way, those who need help, And if you're wondering who really needs help, go look in the mirror. That's who needs help. We all need God's help. None of us, not a one of us have it all figured out. As soon as you do, you realize you don't have it all together and um, that you need the Lord. You know, I love what John 3, 17 says, For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Might be saved. That's the desire. That's the point. Why do we preach on sin in our church? Not to condemn you. No. But that you might be saved. That you may know God's will. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a beautiful passage. What a beautiful thing. And we see we see in this, uh, these uh, three parables that when the lost is found, there's joy, not just joy in general, not just joy for the people, but get the, there's joy in heaven. The number one thing that we see that causes joy in heaven is when the lost is found. If you want to cause joy in heaven... Seeking to save that which is lost, like Jesus did, and have that same mentality, and there will be joy in heaven. Man, God loves joy, and there's joy in heaven. The angels are rejoicing. I believe that those who have gone before us are rejoicing. I believe they're even praying for us down here, and that they will see many saved. Now, I don't know if grandma or grandpa or whoever has gone before us can look down and see us. I don't don't think that is the case. I don't. I don't want to disappoint some of you to go, oh man, I thought grandma and grandpa were watching everything I do. Do you really want your grandma and grandpa watching everything you do in life? (laughs) Some of you don't want your parents who are alive watching you. But I do believe this. I do believe that they're getting updates in heaven. I believe that my grandparents know um, that I'm a pastor. That have gone before that didn't know that. I believe they know where I'm at. How do I think of that? Well, you know, people pass away, Christian saints, and they go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Your grandson was, you know, my pastor. How'd he do? Well, okay, you know, but. Uh... <laughs> But you know, they get, I believe they get updates through those who go before us and friends and family that go on to heaven, and they're getting updates. I mean, how cool is that? And they 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 hear the names shouted out, shouted out in heaven as a name is written in the book of life, and they're like, "Oh, I know who that is." Wonderful. There's so much we don't know. There's so much we can't fathom. So much that we don't quite get. So how do we reach the lost? How do we reach the lost? When you evangelize, there are a couple things to remember. Here's number one, is stay in touch with the world of the lost. Stay in touch with the lost world. Stay in touch with the lost world. You know, we um, as believers are like being in a boat in the middle of the ocean. The issue is not the boat in the ocean. The issue is when the ocean gets in the boat. And we have that today in some of our churches, unfortunately. We can't always help if the birds fly over our head, but we can help if they make a nest on our head. So there's things we can help, there's things we can do, and ultimately we stick to the word, yes. But don't lose touch of what's going on around you. This not only keeps you relevant, we need need their presence. Unbelievers keep us honest. They spot phoniness very easily. They're not impressed with our Christian vocabulary. In fact, if you uh, stay too long in uh, the exclusive world of Christians, you'll grow numb to the need of Christ in the world. Now, don't take me wrong. Like the, when we meet here Sunday morning, um, this is for Christians, and yes, we give the gospel, no question, but. We open God's Word. We sing unto the Lord because it's about assembly, coming together as a body of believers. And yes, man, people who are not Christians are welcome to come. Absolutely, we want you here. We want you to know, come know Jesus. When we meet here, when we meet here. It's about serving. It's about serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord and learning His Word. The Word takes precedent. We're about lifting the name of Jesus and lifting him up high and and glorifying his name. No question. And you need those Christian friends in your life. But what can happen, though, when we end up with nothing but Christian friends, our hearts can grow a little cold towards the lost and dying world that's around us. So I want to encourage you, have some friends who are not Christians with, by all means, with the intent of praying for them, inviting them, loving on them and then when the opportunity comes that you can share the gospel with them to share the gospel i love hearing about how some of you share the gospel with other people you know just a very basic uh, question of asking a friend or even a stranger if the opportunity comes your way of simply asking do you know what the gospel is that's it you don't have to know every you don't have to know everything in the Bible, but if you know you need to know the gospel, know what Jesus Christ has done for you. And when you ask them, Do you know the gospel? It opens a topic topic for conversation. It opens up the door. And you can see what they know, what they don't know, and help them know to know Christ. Here's the second one. Treat non-Christians well. Treat them well. As believers, we are not called to judge the world. We're not. Bible's very clear. Judge not least you be judged, right? That's what that's about. It's about judging the unbelieving world. And so we need to be careful. Don't be surprised when lost people, unsaved people, act like unsaved people. I'm not surprised. Now we should be surprised when Christian people act like unchristian people. Amen? That's when we're like, well, wait a second. In fact, the Bible speaks to that, of in a loving way, another believer out of love should go, oh, wait a second, Bob, Jim, or you know, Sally, you, you're a believer, you shouldn't be acting that way. And in fact, say, well, I thought the Bible says we shouldn't judge. Biblically, with the idea of, of helping those on the right path, not in a spirit of judgment, in the spirit of care and concern of going, hey, that's not the right path to go. The Word of God says this. That's loving and needed. And should happen in every church when the desire and the purpose of it is love, not judgment. So we all need that but we treat unchristians well. If you owe them money, pay your bills. If you hear hate from them, remember that you're forgiven, a forgiven sinner as well. Don't strike back. If they represent a lifestyle that turns you off, understand that's only if maybe the few things in which they know. So we, we want to be loving. We want to treat them well. Sometimes people ask me, pastor or as someone who um, let's say transgender, or they're gay, or they believe this, or they're different than that. Are they welcome to come to church? Absolutely. But I'm not going to change what the Bible says. And my goal is not to hurt people's feelings. My goal is to make sure I don't hurt God's feelings. That's my goal. Because when you preach the word in a loving, accurate way, sometimes people get upset with you. That's not the goal. But if the shoe fits, it fits. It's not my problem. Your problem's with the Lord, not me. And so will we continue to preach what the Bible preaches? Absolutely. And what I know is this. People need the Lord. They need the Lord. And God wants to use you, 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 every one of us as believers to share the gospel to reach the lost, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers. You were designed to be ambassadors for uh, for the cross. You were designed, God's desire is for you to proselyte, to share the the gospel. In fact, if we don't share the gospel, it makes me wonder, do we ourselves even believe the gospel? In fact, are we even a Christian if we never share the gospel? Now, maybe it's been a while since you shared the gospel. It's time to step up. It's time to do your job that God expects you to do. Share your faith. Someone said once, and I think they attribute to St. Francis, and said, preach the gospel at all times and if possible, use food. Now, some say he did say it. Some say he didn't say it. I have a problem with that. Here's why. And the way you live matters. Don't get me wrong. The way you live matters. But that's like saying, feed the hungry and if possible, use food. That doesn't make any sense. Are you following me? Feed the hungry at all times, and if possible, use food. Well, you need food, you dummy, right? Like you need the food to give them to to feed the hungry. Well, those who don't know the gospel, what do they need? They need the gospel. They need the gospel. That's what they need. Be patient. Remember that God is at work. He'll take responsibility for their actions and their decisions, and either by forgiving them in grace or by judging their sin at the end of time either way they're the lord's responsibility not yours so you can't push them be patient be patient with them you know probably the message of going hey are you a christian and they say no well turn or burn and then walk away probably not the best way to go about it that's what i'm saying be patient be loving let the holy spirit do its work and he will and he will god is patient And he's waiting for those who are lost. Those who are prodigals to repent and to come to him. You know, you cannot be free without restrictions. Think about it. A fish is free to go wherever he wants in the ocean. But he cannot roam the jungle. He wasn't made for that. A lion's not free to live in the ocean. He wasn't made for that. Freedom is having the benefits you were created to receive. Freedom doesn't mean there's no boundaries. Freedom means that within the right boundaries, you can maximize your potential. And whether when it comes to the subject of sex, money, material, um, you know, material that we have, things that we have, God simply says in his word, within the boundaries he has set, it is good. It's all right when we get outside of those boundaries in which he's given, you could say that they're guardrails. Guardrails, you know, the ones that keep the Chevy trucks from going off the road. And, um, you know, that it, guardrails, keeping you where you need to be. Keeping you where you need to go. And when we get outside those boundaries, out of those, on the other side of those fences in which God has set up, he does it for our protection. Because he knows... He knows the pain that's on the other side. It's not that God is trying to ruin your fun. It's not that God is trying to control your life. In fact, he's trying to protect you. Why? Because that's what loving fathers do. And Christian, you weren't made for the world. In fact, you were born again. You were born again, brought into the church, brought into the kingdom of God, and God wants to use you to further his kingdom. So Maybe here, right now, maybe in your family, maybe there's someone you know. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a son. Maybe it's a daughter. Maybe it's a niece or a nephew or an aunt or an uncle. I don't know who it could be, but maybe you have a prodigal. You have someone who's lost, and you want to see them. You want to see them found. What should you do? How can we reach the prodigals that are in our life? here's number one, is continual prayer. Don't stop praying. The prayers of a righteous man availeth much. It does matter. It makes a difference. You see, pray that they will have the right friends in their life. Pray that they will come to know the Lord. You see, scripture says, my child, if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. Pray that your child will have the right friends. Here's another one, is pray they will get caught when guilty. So why would I want to do that? Pray that they get caught when they're guilty. Why is that? Because one, they need to see that their actions do matter, that there are consequences to what they've done. Now, the Lord will forgive the Lord will restore. But there's consequences for our sin. And, and unfortunately, that's what we have to deal with. But a little bit of suffering for our decisions is not necessarily a, a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. This is what scripture says. In fact, it's biblical. Psalms 119 verse 71 says, my suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Huh. So when we just go and ignore the laws of the land, we ignore the laws and the and the guardrails in which God has given, that a little bit of pain, it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world, it reminds you that there's right and that there's wrong, and that how we live matters. Here's the other thing you should do when you pray, praying for those prodigals. Pray that God will do whatever it takes. Pray that God will do whatever it takes to get their attention. It may mean of God stripping everything away from them. It could mean that God strips some health for a period of time. It may take their wealth, their job, and I don't know what it may take. It may be a situation in their life that they get to a point where the only place they have to look is up. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Most people do not change because they see the light. They change because they feel the heat. And his prodigal son quickly found out that a life of wine, women, and parties isn't what he thought it would be. Within a space of a short time, he went from comfort and security in his father's house to wanting to eat pig food. As Jesus is telling this parable, this, this story with a heavenly meaning, and he says, this Jewish boy wanted to eat pig's food, that would have been appalling to them. That was unclean. He was so bad that he was willing to eat pig's food. Have you seen pig's food? They call it slop for a reason. It's just a mixture of everything, and they would eat everything and anything. You know, you can clean a pig up. And as soon as he finds a muddy puddle with mud, he will jump in it and waller in it and get all in it. He loves it. He likes it. That's what pigs, that's what they do. You ever smelled a pig farm before? If you haven't, you'll know it when you smell one. It's its own unique smell. It's awful. It's awful. They carry diseases. I mean, there are certain, I don't know, precautions they take. I can't remember what they are. And I didn't hang around enough to really find out. I really was like, you know what? I'm just not going to have pigs. I'll stay away. I do love bacon, though. <laughs> crispy bacon. I took a poll once just in a sermon. I'm like, how many of you love crispy bacon? And everyone raised their hand except for like 10 people. I'm like, who likes the floppy bacon? And like 10 people raised their hand. And I was like, man, you all need to repent. How do you like (laughs) bacon that's not crispy? Sin will keep you longer than what you want to stay. Sin will take you further than what you want to go. And sin will cost you more than what you want to pay. I want to say it again because, man, someone needs to hear it. Maybe you're on the edge and you think, Man, what does my father know? What does my mother know? What does God even know? I'm just done with some of this. Sin will keep you longer than what you want to stay, take you further than what you want to go, and cost you more than what you want to pay. It will cost you. And it cost, it cost this prodigal here, it cost him everything, to the point he just wanted to eat pig food because he was so hungry. So let me... Let me ask, are you running from the Lord? Are you running from Him? Maybe you're running from Him because for different reasons. Maybe, maybe you just want to focus on your life, your way. Do it the Frank Sinatra way, right? I did it my way. You're going to miss out on so many blessings that the Lord has for you. And easily, at one point in time, if you go that direction, you'll get to a certain point in your life and you'll see how much you've wasted. How much you've wasted. How much of a void you have in your life because the things you thought were going to be so great, and then maybe you achieved all of them and you're like, but it did not fill the void. Only the Lord can. You see, he is not willing to compromise with or make a deal, but he is willing to forgive you if you repent. Every now and then I'll run to somebody go, but yeah, you know what? God and I, we've talked. I was in war. I was in this, and, and, and I was in this situation, and, and I made a deal with God. No, you didn't. God and I, we have our own things set up. No, you don't. And maybe you're here right now like, yeah, but you don't know what God said to me. I don't know. And I'm not trying to be mean. I don't really, don't near as much care of what you think God told you. I know what God's word says and what it communicates to us. And it's very clear when we repent of our sin, we come to the cross humbly, we ask Jesus to save us, he will. Any deal outside of that, my friend, is no deal. You made a deal with maybe some other spiritual entity, but you didn't make one with God, and you're missing the boat. And so he's not willing to make just a deal for special you. And listen, you're special to God. You are. And he loves you. But you're not that special that he's given you a certain way just for heaven. For you over here, and you over here, and you over here, and then God has changed his mind on another part of the world. You know what that would be? That would be a a, a God that basically just uh, can't make up his mind. So either the God of this Bible is the truth, or we need to put it aside and go, you know what? That's no longer the truth. And I believe the word of God is true. And that following Jesus is the way to go. And so, notice what happens to this prodigal in verse 17. When he finally came to his senses. (laughs) Hmm. It seems that we come to our senses oftentimes when we hit rock bottom when we're at the end of our rope, when we've lost all our strength because we've tried it for so long. And that's what this guy was doing. He wanted to live his life his own way, be his own man. He wasn't interested in hearing what, what his father and mother had to say. He was going to do what he wanted to do, but he came to his senses. And he said to himself, man, at home, I remember those servants. They had food. They had clothes. They had a roof over their head. Maybe, just maybe, my father will let me be one of them. And the, he was so desperate that he knew that if he went back to his father of that day, if you were to, because when he said, hey, Dad, give me my inheritance. It was was like publicly saying to his father, you are dead to me and I want nothing to do with you. And to go back into a village or town, which was much more tight-knit than what we have today because everyone knew everything about everybody, to see a prodigal coming back who had basically told his dad publicly, you are dead to me, to come back, the town could stone him. So the thought of him going back, he was so desperate, such to a point, you know what? It's worth the risk. <laughs> That's where he was at, at this point in time. And he came to his senses. Pain will do that. Pain, man, pain points the flag of reality in the fortress of a rebel's heart. And sometimes our children and those other prodigals who are in our life, and that time comes in which pain, pain is so severe Only then will they look up. So how do we reach our particles? Well, you need never-ending patience. Never-ending patience. Galatians 6, 9 says, "'Let us not become weary in doing good, "'for at the proper time we will reap a harvest "'if we do not give up.'" And here in verse 20, it says, "'So he returned home to his father, "'and when he was still a long way off, "'his father saw him coming.'" Filled with love and compassion, he reigned to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. <laughs> Let's continue reading in verse 21, actually. It says, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned both against heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals on his feet, kill the calf in which, which we've been uh, fattening, and we must celebrate with a feast, for his, this son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. I wonder how many nights his father went to go look for his son in the morning and in the evening. I wonder if that's when his father would pray, bring my son back home. And at this point in time, as he's looking out, he can see the silhouette of his son. He could recognize the gait of his son, the way he walked. That's my son. It says he ran to him. He ran and went after his son. You know, it's almost like Jesus is Letting us know here in this passage that the prodigals who come to the Lord, that God is searching, He's looking, He's waiting for that prodigal to come back. And when He sees the prodigal coming, God runs. Not away, but to. He runs to you. How awesome! What a beautiful picture of this father who represents God, this son who represents us, the rebel. And he runs, he runs to his son. He runs to him. And we see as well what prodigals need as we're praying for our prodigals is unconditional love. His father saw him, was filled with compassion, ran to his son, threw his arms around him. He was, man, he got to, he got to his son before the townspeople could even decide whether they're gonna stone this man. To stone the son would be to also to stone the father, put the robe around him, put the ring on his finger, and says, "You're not going to be my servant. You're back with me." And so his father, full of compassion for his son, ran to him, hugged him, kissed him. The father would would not even listen to the man's, his son's rehearsed speech. Instead, the father had his servants prepare a banquet to celebrate his son's return. And Jesus intentionally used this banquet parable again. He had previously spoken of the banquet that symbolized the coming of the kingdom. And Jesus' hearers would have easily realized the significance of the feast. Sinners whom the young son symbolized were entering into the kingdom because they were coming to God. And they believed that they needed to return to him and be forgiven. So to the hearers of this message, they would have thought, this guy was done with. He should have been killed with no mercy and compassion. The Gentiles, who weren't Jewish, the Gentiles, why would we want to share the message of hope with them? What's so interesting, though, this is not really a story of a prodigal son. It's not. It's actually a story of prodigal sons. The one was a rebel. The other one, the other one we see in verse 25. Notice notice the, the older son. The reaction of the older son, who would have symbolically represented the Pharisees of that day in the religious leaders as Jesus is talking to them. The older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fatted calf. And we are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was what? He was angry. He wasn't rejoicing. He wasn't like, oh man, I'm so glad he's safe. I'm so glad he's back. No, he's angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years, I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast. And it doesn't appear to even ask, by the way, with my friends. And yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, do you celebrate by killing the fatted calf? And the father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. And we had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The father forgave because he was full of love. The oldest son didn't rejoice because he was bitter and self-righteous. The oldest son didn't rejoice because he thought he was going to lose a part of his inheritance. The oldest son didn't rejoice because, quite frankly, he didn't want to forgive. And in our lives, maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you're not the prodigal, the rebel, but maybe, maybe you're like the older son. And quite frankly, your heart is very, it's hard. It's hard towards those who are lost. It's hard towards people who don't talk like you, look like you, or think like you. And church, when we get like that, we miss out on the heart of God. I remember once in college, it was a Sunday night, I was a college student, and I went to this church. And I was sitting I was sitting right in this area where Dan's at. I was a good college student. I sat in the front. Okay, it wasn't complete front. It was a little more over there. But I had this lady tap me on the shoulder. She didn't know me. She didn't know who I was. And she said, sir, you were in my seat. And I thought, oh, okay, I've heard about you. (laughs) Not her specifically, just that type of person. And I got up and I moved. I was like, sorry. I thought, what if, what if, what if my, I wasn't married then, but what if my wife or girlfriend had left me? What if I had just gotten fired from my job? What if I was thinking about committing suicide? What, I don't know. What if I was in a place in my life where I was just looking for a word from God, and I was sitting there, and someone taps me on the shoulder, and the first words are, sir, you're in my seat. Church, may we not get so hard-hearted Don't we see the people around us We don't have that heart attitude of you're in my seat, or that you look different from me, so you don't, I don't know you, you don't need the gospel. Man, may our maybe look at people around us differently. In fact, may we look at people the way that God looks at them. These prodigals that are in our lives, we can. But the rebel, (laughs) how can you help that prodigal son, that prodigal daughter, that prodigal in your life? First, they must face the painful reality of their insanity before they will repent. Be patient. You can nag, you can pressure, you can babe, you can try to bribe, but that simply distracts them from the truth that they need to face. Instead, without adding to the burden, we must allow the consequences of their sin to crush their foolishness. When the rebel is ready, they can receive, we can be ready to receive them in grace. The respectable rebel, like the older brother, they must face the awful ugliness of their pride before they can repent. For those of us who love the a respectable level rebel, courage is key. We must be willing to say. What needs to be said, regardless of the backlash, manipulation, while they don't appear to hear the painful truth of their pride, our words wrapped in love can become tools in the hands of the Holy Spirit to crack the defensive barrier they've erected around themselves. And when either one repents, we must be willing to show them tenderness, and love, and as his father ran to his son, as his father lovingly dealt with his oldest son, may we run and wrap wrap our arms around them as well. Maybe there's someone right now in your life that, maybe it's a son, maybe it's a daughter, and your heart your heart's hurting because of it. Maybe it's a niece, maybe it's a nephew, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a brother, maybe it's a sister, could be a parent. And right now your heart is aching for them. How about this morning? How about we pray for them? So as the music's playing, let's let's go to the Lord in prayer with our eyes closed. maybe you're here right now and you're, man, that's you. You're a prodigal. And you know it's time. It's time for you to give it all to the Lord. It's time for you to run back to Him. Would you like to do that? If that's you, come on down right now. I'll meet you down here. Come on down. Maybe right now, you're a father, you're a mother, and there's a prodigal you have in your life. Maybe you're a grandparent, there's a prodigal, it's a grandson, granddaughter, someone you love. Who is it in your life that's a prodigal right now? It could be a neighbor, it could be a coworker. To so Pastor Lucas, I have someone in my life right now that I need to pray for. Will you raise your hand, show it to the Lord. The Pastor Lucas, pray for me. Yes. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We're thankful that you are patient and long suffering, that you don't give up on us, that you desire to seek and to save that which is lost. And as we follow your heart, as we let the Holy Spirit mold us and shape us, as we grow in our faith, as we grow in our faith, may our hearts become more tender towards the lost world. May we share our faith. May we invite other people to come with us to church. May we spend time and invest in those who are around us to help share the gospel of Jesus. God, I pray for the prodigals that are in our lives right now. Some have sons, daughters, family members, friends. There's some right now they they know many people who are lost and they're friends with them. We pray for them in a special way, Lord. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Give us the words to say through your spirit in the right time. We love you. We praise you. And everyone said, amen. Amen.